monkey Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes, this book uh, uh, alternative wisdom where you kind of dig below the surface to find the wisdom, but it's there. And so today we're going to look at two different sections of that book that have to deal with human hands and crazy talk. But before we do that, I'm going to call the ushers forward. Ushers, if you can come forward. Or did you already do that? No, you haven't. Okay. If you're visiting today, please do not feel compelled to give it all. Save your gifts for your normal place of worship. If this is your church home, though, thank you so much for helping us pay the bills and stay afloat. We sure appreciate that. Two quick announcements. Next week, there's a little bit of a mix-up. Some people thought it was this week. We mixed up. We have what's called Welcome to Us. We don't have official memory. So here we go. We're going to deal with human hands and crazy talk out of the book of Ecclesiastes. First, human hands. Let's look at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil, with toil and a chasing after the wind. Now, when you first read these scriptures, they don't seem like they're that important, and they don't seem to contain that much wisdom. But get ready to geek out on the Bible a little bit with me today, because when you dig deeper, you find out how remarkable these verses are. These verses deal with three postures we take with our hands, but they actually deal with three states of being in our life. In English, the same form of the word hand is used in every scenario. One handful with tranquility, two handfuls with toil, a folding of the hands. It's the same English word, hand, there. But Hebrew is a much more picturesque language. And in Hebrew, the, the language these verses were originally written in, there is a different word for the word hand. This is where it gets good in every scenario, okay? Kind of like the way indigenous people in Alaska have 50 words for the word snow. We just call it snow, and they got much more descriptive language. So let's take a look at these three words that are used here and see what they have to do with our life, starting with a folding of the hands. The Hebrew word for folded hands is the word yod, and yod is about means and power and direction. Yod has to do about energy. It's what you do with the talents and the ability and the passions in your life. So to fold your hands means you're shutting down your yod. You're folding your hands, you're folding up your yod. You're putting it on cruise control. You're getting out of the game. You're giving up. That's why in the Bible, oftentimes when it says, refers to a person that has folded hands, it's talking about lazy people, even, okay? These verses don't paint a pretty picture about a person who chooses to live their life with folded hands. It's saying that kind of life will ruin you. It's that blunt. And that's so true. Now let's look at a couple of stories starting Jesus that illustrate this, okay? The first is out of Matthew chapter 25. We'll just read four verses here. This is Jesus talking to a group of people. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. They will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and, not, and we didn't help you? When did that happen? And Jesus will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. In these verses, Jesus is saying that every human being on the planet has an opportunity to use their God, 
to use their God-given life force and energies to do good in the world, to move things forward, to bless and take care of people. But sadly, some people simply fold their hands. They don't take the time and the energy to help the broken, the needy, the outcast. They just fold their hands because it's so much easier. Contrast that to a story out of the book of Mark. This is out of chapter 1. Look at this. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her because he was a known healer. So he went to her, took her by the hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Let me tell you why I told you that story, too. Here's this poor lady who was suffering from what in the original language is called a fiery heat. It's not just a fever, it was a severe fever, and it was probably life-threatening because in this culture, in this region, malaria was rampant. So she probably had the beginning stages of malaria, and Jesus heals her, and as soon as she's healed, she starts serving people. Now, what a great scene. Think of this lady. She's healed. Her yacht is restored. Her energy returns to her body. And instead of folding her hands and just kicking back and relaxing, she opens her hands and serves. She gets back in the game. You know, there are various reasons why people nowadays live their life with folded hands. Some people fold their hands because they grow old and retire. Some of you are in the retirement stage or nearing it, or some of you are even way past it, okay? Now, when that happens, some people think, Oh my goodness, I've worked hard for my whole life. I've done my bit. I've done more than my part. It's all beaches, bingo, and banana batteries for me from here on out. Okay, that's kind of the mindset. That mindset will ruin you. First of all, you'll get bored of that way faster than you think. And second of all, you'll miss out on opportunities to bless and love people. Don't assume that your best days are behind you. That is a lie. You have got something to give. The world needs what you've got to give. You've got experience. You've got time. You've got opportunity. You've got wisdom. You can comfort the hurting. You can curb injustice. You can be a friend to the lonely. You've still got some yod left in the tank. Okay? Don't fool yourself. And when you unleash your yod on the world, your God-given life force and energies, your life becomes much more full and enriched than if you just fold your hands, put it on cruise control, and coast into the grave. That's not a great way to live. It will ruin you. Some people fold their hands for different reasons. Maybe you're even younger, but you've been hurt, or you've been betrayed, or rejected, or deeply wounded. You feel unappreciated, like the people around you don't want what you have to give. And so on a deep level, in a deep crevice of your heart, you just decide, I'm going to fold my hands. I'm going to shut it down. And your life becomes just going through the motions instead of truly engaging with the people around you. You become comfortably numb. I get it, okay? Some people are going to reject you. Some people are going to hurt you. Some people are going to ignore you. Some people, for a reason I don't know, insist on pooping on our parade routes. Okay? I don't know. They just want to make our life hard. Please, please, no matter what kind of pain, don't give up. There's a church that has a motto, and I'm not much of the mottos around here. We don't really have a 
Fifth Avenue motto, Fifth Avenue Church, and some catchy phrase. But if I was going to have a motto, I'd steal theirs and claim that I made it up for myself. Okay. And it's this one. I'll put it up on the screen. I love this. Life is a gift and love is the goal. What a great motto, right? Your life is a gift. You might not have been, but to quote Frederick Buechner, you might not have been, but you are. You exist because God knew the party wouldn't be complete without you. You have a life. You have a body. You have breath in your lungs. You have God. You have energy. You get to love and be loved. So please, I beg of you, I beg of you, don't let your hurt and rejection rob you of your life. Stay in the game. And a little side note, know this too. God is love. There's a famous verse in the Bible. God describes himself. He says, God is love. So that means every experience of love that we have between each other is also an experience of God somehow. So if you fold your hands, not only will you just put it on cruise control, you'll limit the amount of experiences and the amount of intimacy you can experience with God, because God is discovered in love, okay? So, no folding of the hands. Let's move on. Two handfuls with toil. The Hebrew word for, in this situation, two handfuls, is kofen, C-H-O-P-H-E-N, if you're interested. And it means the making of a fist. It means grasping. It means grabbing onto something and holding on for it for dear life. It's a picture of materialism and greed and the rat race, okay? That's what it is. It's a constant striving where you don't just want to keep up with the Joneses. You want to crush the Joneses. You want to leave the stupid Joneses in the past, okay? You want to be way ahead of the Joneses. That's what it's a picture of, okay? But according to this verse, kofen is futility. It's a chasing after the wind. Some of us are there right now. When you describe your life to others, it's all about work, 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 work. That's what it is. Which, by the way, is a vivid description of a life of a slave. That should be your first red flag, okay? It's a vivid description of a life of a slave. But even when people come up to you on the street and they go, hey, how's it going? Your first response is always the same. Oh, I'm so busy. Like, that's a good thing. No, it's not. Being busy all the time constantly is craziness. It's miserable. It's out of control. It's a crushing feeling in your life. There is a pastor, I, I read his book about a year ago, and one part I highlighted in it. I love this moment of vulnerability he had. He didn't have the ability for a season of his life to say no to anybody or anything. He was saying yes to everything. He was so busy, and it was killing him. And he was exhausted, not on a physical level, just a physical level where he needed a vacation, but on a soul level where he needed a total reboot in his life. And this is what he says. He admits that this is how he felt. I'll read it for you. I collapsed. I fell into a sleep so deep that had God plucked a rib from my side, fashioned a woman from it, and brought her to me naked, I wouldn't have so much of as twitched. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. I just put the book down and started laughing. But maybe some of you can relate. You're so deeply tired. You're so deeply tired. You have no energy left. And deep down, you want a different life. You want a slower life, a life that's slow enough where you can experience God, a life slow enough where you can actually spend time and grow closer to those you deeply love. Both of those things, by the way, cannot happen when you live your life at great speed. You want to love other people and you want to experience God, you have to be moving slow. 
There's no way around it, okay? So, here's the good news. You can have that different life. And that brings us to the third point of this particular section of the scripture. One handful with tranquility. The word used here for one handful with tranquility is kaph, K-A-P-H. And it means an open hand or an open palm. Living your life with an open hand doesn't lead to anything negative. It leads to being infused with peace and having tranquility in your life. Again, let's look at a story starring Jesus. In Matthew chapter 3, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. Evidently, he did a lot of them, okay? John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And he comes up out of the, the waters of baptism. He sees the Spirit descending on him like a dove, which meant the presence of God was just all over his life. And then he hears a voice from heaven. And the voice says, I'll paraphrase, You're my boy. I am so pleased with you. I am so totally in love with you. That's what the voice says. Well, what's this a picture of? I'll tell you what it's a picture of. It's a picture of Jesus living his life with open hands. Hands open enough that he can receive a blessing. A blessing is just a fancy word for validation. It's love, acceptance, and affirmation being poured into your life. And you can't receive a blessing from God or anybody around you if your hands are tight and in a fist. You can't receive a blessing from God or anybody else if your hands are folded. You can only receive a blessing if your hands are open so you can catch that blessing because the position of your hands is also the position of your heart. That's why you'll see some of us in worship will raise our hands with palms up. Why do we do that? Because we're saying to God, I am so open to you right now. My hands are open because my heart is open too. God wants to save us from the insanity of a stressed-out life, and he wants to save us from the emptiness of a checked-out life. And that happens when we open our hands, when we say, God, I'm open. I'm not striving anymore. I'm not grasping. I'm not checking out. I'm available. That's when God will speak blessing into your life, and it's a blessing that will infuse you with peace and tranquility. It's so incredible. Okay? Now let's move on to crazy talk. I want to read two verses out of Ephesians chapter, or Ecclesiastes chapter 7. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting, for death is the destiny of everyone, and the living should take this to heart. Now these verses start off sounding pretty reasonable, okay? When you read them for the first time, you think, oh, better a good name than fine perfume. Well, that's just a poetic way to say it would be better for you to go through your life reeking so bad that you smell like different parts of your body are having a stink-off competition. Okay, better to go through your life reeking that bad than to go through life with a bad name, with a bad reputation. And you think about that and you think, yeah, I can agree with that. That sounds like wisdom. That makes sense to me. But then the very next verse, things get wonky. This mystery writer of Ecclesiastes this teacher goes on to say, it's better to go to a house of mourning than go to a house of feasting. Think about that. Did you check out your brain? Because that's just crazy talk. The writer seems to be saying, it's better to go to a funeral than it is to go to a party. What kind of jacked up parties was this guy going to where he's at the party and he's thinking, man, I wish I was someplace better, like a funeral, okay? Though I have to admit, 
in preparing this message, my wife made me go to one particular party, and I'm totally throwing her under the bus because it was her fault. Okay, <laughs> she made me go to a party that was so awkward. Have you ever been to these? So awkward, during one part of the party, I was just going, I'm kind of wishing for the sweet release of death right now. Just anything to get me out of this building right now, okay? So there's that. But in most cases, we'd all agree, a party is way better than a funeral. That's why you never get ready for a funeral and think to yourself, man, this is going to rock. I can't wait to get there. I look so good in black. Black is slimming. It's going to be wonderful. I hope I get some good pictures so I can post them on Instagram and Facebook because my friends are going to be so jealous that they're not here with me. You don't do that when you go to a funeral. So why would the writer of Ecclesiastes write something that sounds so crazy and backwards? Well, he's not alone. Check out these words from an epic sermon by Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. That's found in Matthew chapter 5 to 7. Jesus said, Blessed, in other words, happy, delighted, are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, when you read through the Bible, you'll notice Jesus says a lot of crazy sounding stuff. He says, Love your enemies. What? You're supposed to hate enemies, Jesus. That's why they're called enemies. Don't you understand that? But he says, Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Then he goes on to say, Whoever finds their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. That sounds crazy, Jesus. If I lose my life, I'll find it. But he says that. And then, one of my favorites, he says, It's more blessed to give than to receive. That sounds like something someone would say that didn't get what they wanted for Christmas, doesn't it? Well, I got underwear again, but it's okay. Because it's more blessed to give than receive. Whatever you got to tell yourself. All right? But one of the craziest things I think Jesus ever said was this statement out of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7, out of the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are they that mourn. But when you take a closer look at it, you realize Jesus and the writer of Ecclesiastes were actually on to something. Because there are some amazing benefits to being a person that mourns. First of all, let me list just a couple for you. It expands your faith. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus and a big throng of people were walking into this village called Nain. At the same time, another large grouping of people was walking out of the village of Nain, and it was a funeral procession. So Jesus and his group collides with this funeral procession. And Jesus is moved with compassion because the funeral, there was this lady that earlier had lost her husband. She was a widow. And now she was carrying, they were carrying her only son on a coffin out of town to bury him. Can you even imagine that pain? Can you imagine the insane loneliness this woman would have been feeling? She was all by herself. And Jesus, being Jesus, is moved with compassion. He goes up and the scripture says, he touched the coffin. Now, I don't know if you've been to a lot of funerals, but that's a party foul of any funeral you ever go to. You just walk up and slap the coffin, okay? Just don't do that. And especially in this culture, because in this culture, it would have made Jesus ritually unclean. It was a very taboo thing to do. But Jesus touched death. That's what he's doing here. And I believe he did it for a particular reason. I believe he did it because of his way of saying to all those people and all of us, I can even be found here, right in the middle of death. You can find me. And it's true. 
Jesus isn't some sort of antiseptic deity that's up there and out of touch with us, who doesn't want to take time to be with us in our tears and our grieving. He's not some antiseptic deity that, that wants to not sully himself with our pain. No, he's not like that. He's a God who is present, a God who meets us right in the middle of our mourning and our mucus and our mess. So while we mourn, just like this widow is doing, somehow we'll see Jesus. And it's so true, I see it all the time. You'll see Jesus in the hugs you receive from your loved ones. You'll see Jesus in the flowers that are sent to you in your time of mourning from friends. You'll see Jesus in the meals that are given to you um, by perfect strangers sometimes. And you'll see Jesus in the compassion that oozes onto you from your faith community that refuses to let you go through your grieving and mourning alone. But instead, they sit in the suckiness with you. Somehow, someway, we see Jesus and our faith is expanded. And this is why. Because in that moment, a God who shows up here, even in the midst of our mourning, we just know, we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he will show up everywhere in our life. And that expands our faith. Second thing, it makes us more alive. Many of us have had near-death experiences in this room, or at least experiences when you're going through them at the time. You think they're near-death. They turn out not to be, but you think they are. I was flying back from Guam one time. If you don't know where Guam is, it's a rock in the middle of the ocean, five and a half hours past Hawaii. It's out in the middle of nowhere. All you can see on all the beaches, you can't see any other land. You can just see water. And I remember flying back, and the pilot got on the intercom, and I don't like to fly very much, okay? I'm not a big fan. I like to land, okay? So I remember flying, and the pilot got on the intercom and said, there's a hurricane in between us and Hawaii where we're going to stop to refuel. So we're going to fly around it. It'll take a little longer. But all of us on the plane were like, ooh, yay, good decision. Fly around the hurricane, okay? <laughs> really not a fan of you flying through the hurricane. So I don't care if it takes longer. Fly all the way around it. Fly all, all the way around the world. I don't care. But don't fly through the hurricane. And then 20 minutes later, all hell broke loose on this plane. And I swear the pilot just went, ah, I don't want to take the time. I, you know, I'm hungry. So he flew through it. That's what it felt like. Because the plane started violently shaking. The amount of turbulence I've never experienced before. And quite frankly, I never want to experience it again. People were white-knuckled there, freaking out. Your luggage was shifting in the overhead bins, all this thing. And then I looked out the window. Little hint here. Never look out the window if you're afraid of flying and you're going through turbulence, because the wings were flapping. <laughs> flapping! I, I found out later they're designed to have some flaps, but I didn't know that, know that at the time. I thought they're about to snap off. And then my mind goes to worst case scenario. I'm going, oh my gosh, we're going to have to land in the ocean. I'm going to cut myself. I'm going to chum myself for sharks. I'm going to be eaten alive. <laughs> I mean, that's how it was going. And then, right at the moment, the pinnacle of my freaking out, we were done. All of a sudden, it was smooth again. And you've been there, right? You've been on a flight that you start off with, and you're bored out of your mind, and all that was going to take forever. And then it scares you for a moment, and then it's smooth. It changes you. All of a sudden, you love everything. I love this plane. I love the smoothness. I love these people. I love that guy who's been hogging my armrest for four hours now. I love my life. Right? I don't know if you've been in that, but that's where I was. 
Mourning is a blessing, and here's why. Because just like a near-death experience, it causes us to see that our lives are a gift. Every moment, every breath is sheer gift. So in facing death, somehow we become more alive. It's amazing. And lastly, the last benefit of mourning, it causes us to appreciate people. I love doing funerals. I've said it over and over again, and I'll continue to do it. If you want me to do your funeral, well, you'd have to ask me in advance, I guess, where your family was. But it's my jam. I love doing it. I, I never say no to them. I just say yes to them all times. First of all, as I've told you before, because it's an incredible privilege to be invited into the center of someone's pain like that. Their vulnerability, their rawness. It's an incredible privilege for me as a pastor for them to say, can you come into this, even this with me? Oh, it's so meaningful. And secondly, because our mourning at a funeral reassures us actually that we did it right. When you mourn at a funeral, it means you actually care. The callous don't grieve. The callous don't mourn. The fact that you're mourning means you lived your life right and actually cared about this person. And in fact, your tears, your grief, your mourning is the last gift you can give to someone who has departed. If any of you go to my funeral someday, I hope you blubber and wail and cry and your nose runs like a kid that just lost their Halloween candy, okay? Seriously, because your tears, your grief, your mourning is a gift to me. So thank you in advance if you're ever at my funeral, okay? <laughs> but mostly, I love doing funerals. This sounds a little morose, right? But I'm sorry. I love doing funerals because during those somber moments in a funeral, those moments of intense grief, the veil is lifted just momentarily, and we see how precious people are to us. And it changes us. When people leave a funeral, they go home. And those people that they believe they loved with their whole heart, somehow they love even more after a funeral. That is such a gift. So I start every funeral with the same sacred prayer. It doesn't sound sacred, but it is. This is what I start funerals with. I pray this. God, please help us. This is awful. That's how I start it. I don't try to avoid the morning. I steer right into it. Because the morning is where the blessings are found. So all this to say, I actually agree with the crazy talk of Jesus and the writer of Ecclesiastes. Sometimes a funeral can be better than a feast. Who knew? This is a great example of the alternative wisdom found in Ecclesiastes. You have to dig for it, but it's there. Let me pray for us. God, please save us from a stressed out life of grasping. In fact, right now, just physically, can you open your hearts by opening your hands in front of you as I pray this? And God, save us from a checked out life of folding our hands. And instead, as we open our hands today, we open our hearts to you. Lord, we're ready. We're available. Please pour words of blessing. Please pour attitudes of blessing into our life, Lord, and infuse us with peace, infuse us with tranquility. And God, though it sounds crazy, help us not to avoid the morning like our culture does, but to steer right into it, because there are so many benefits, Lord. We agree with what you said, Jesus. Blessed, happy, delighted are those that mourn. We love you, Lord. Thanks for your wisdom today and your presence. 
In your name we pray. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Please check out all the goings-on that are happening at our info table, or you can check those things out online. you got to sign up quick for the Welcome to Us class and for the upper room. Have a great week. God bless you.